Say It Skillfully is about being who you really are and saying what you think needs to be said, even at work. Whether you're part of a small project team or leading a giant company, the more you accept that you're part of the problem, the faster you can be part of the solution. Join Molly Chang today as together we break the silence and learn how to be happier, healthier, and more productive at work and in life. Hello, Molly here. Welcome to Say It Skillfully, helping you find the words to create shared reality in a way that's true to yourself. Today is the 37th episode of my monthly feature, Our Voices, an inside look into a life journey that's likely quite different than yours. We'll discuss ways to accelerate social change, level the playing field, and help everyone live to their full potential. I encourage you to listen with curiosity and without judgment to this account of what it means to grow up, learn, struggle, work, and live in our world. My guest today, a technology and data leader, was a senior leader in global aviation for almost 20 years. At Delta Airlines, she led the technology implementation for partnership development, responsible for technology implementation with 23 different airlines around the world. She taught business intelligence at Georgia State's MBA program. And then with her passion for empowering women, she founded a global platform, Her Will with a goal to create equal opportunity world where women have the freedom to reach their true potential. And she's doing it with a unique approach by making data science and artificial intelligence education and opportunities available to underrepresented communities. I'm ecstatic to introduce to you the amazing Farhana Hassan. Farhana, welcome to Our Voices. Hello, Molly. Thank you so much for having me here. It's always such a pleasure to be with you. Uh, you've had a tremendous impact in my life through IWF, um, to uh, which I just completed, and I'll tell you all about it. But uh, just wanted to tell you how much you also mean to me personally and professionally. Well, you make my heart melt. I uh, We formally met last fall through the program. It just feels like years and years of friendship. And uh, the IWF, the International Women's Forum, has a very unique Women's Leadership Program. I had the benefit of doing it decades ago. Um, And so it's very near and dear to me that I had a chance to be with you and your uh, amazing cohort. Farhana, just talk to us. Thoughts on the impact the program's made for you? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I keep telling people there are executive educations and there is IWF fellowship. And the seed of that you've planted for us in Las Vegas last year. Um, The way we have done it, it's a very unique experience, right? The way we forged relationships, forged friendships with the 43 of our fellows and um, the largest class of the IWF history. The way we've done it and the bond we have created and the personal and professional parts, the way we're there for each other is quite remarkable. So then came after Vegas came uh, INSEAD at in Paris, Fontainebleau in France. And there we spent five days digging deep into our ourselves, how we are as people, how our past experiences, our past traumas and triumphs led us to the people we were, and then how it could help us design the future that we're going for. And then we took that experience to Harvard Business School. What was very different about it was the way they teach. So it was case-based Socratic teaching. And where we kind of talked to each other to get to the point that they were trying to deliver. And that teaching we were, I don't think any of us was exposed to, but it opened our eyes to figure out a, how, how as a team we derive at different conclusions from different opinions and different backgrounds. With the IWF program, I feel that I... I'm a very different person to begin with. That's the first step. As a human being, I've changed. I've, as a human being, when I say that, because you're a, you, to be a better leader, you have to be a better human. So um, IWF 
gave me that opportunity. I had an opportunity to look inside of me to figure out, okay, what are the gaps? What are the holes? And what are the areas that I actually shine in? I'm so delighted to hear it. And I'm just so really grateful to IWF for for creating a way for people to um, get to know themselves, to be able to create the selves they want to be, and to help you know, define how we can lead in better ways. Because I think, and, you know, I've said this many times, uh, and I'm not happy to say it, that in some ways we're really in a leadership crisis of the most epic proportions. You know, when you look across sectors and there's a lot of times we can feel very potentially disappointed or let down. And the thing to do is to take it, the bulls by the horn and think about how we can empower ourselves to lead uh, in better ways that really unleashes everyone's potential. And I know, Farhana, how deep that runs for you, which is, um, well, I'm so excited about today's conversation. Uh, Before we get to the current, and I know there's a lot going on for you, I am um, very grateful for you willing to share with us um, your life journey, Rahana, and, um, you know, what you've gone through and how you've become who you are. Molly, um, for the last time, uh, you, I'm really honored to be here uh, because, you know, as our, we, we've connected in Vegas and how I've told you that everything you've done, uh, made me look at my life in a different way. That was another transformative experience for all of us, right? And the flow we have taken us through uh, opened up our eyes into the things that we are currently doing and we are going to be doing in the future. So I, I'm really grateful to be here and uh, I'm happy to share my story. Um, and it's it's pretty, it's, it's an interesting one. Um, I'm not supposed to be what I am today, but because um, going back into my childhood, I was thinking about this question that my childhood, what was it like? So I was born and raised in Bangladesh. I was born in a time when Bangladesh was being born uh, during the war. And um, so as the country was trying to raise itself, my parents were trying to figure out how to raise me. And I was, it was a pretty basic nuclear family. Um, My dad was a bureaucrat and uh, my mom was a stay-at-home mom. Later on, I had a sister and that was it. For a Bangladeshi family from a Muslim background in a conservative society like that, it's pretty rare to have two girls in the family. It's pretty much everyone's end goal is to have a boy, a male heir, to take you to the finish line and but I was really grateful that I've never never ever heard my parents either of them uh, regret the fact that they didn't have a boy um early earlier in my childhood I was you know pretty happy-go-lucky very butterfly like um little girl and and just did my own things but I had a lot of questions. I, I was very curious to begin with. I um, Mainly because I used to always question what are girls doing this and what are boys, why are boys doing this? I was very attached to my dad and my dad's life really um, attracted me. It's I wanted to be my dad for having any other women role model that I want to I wanted to uh, uh, grow up to be after. So my dad's, I remember not playing with dolls, but actually playing office. Um, I would emulate everything that he would do and how, you know, people would just end up to greet him and salute him and all that. Uh, My entire family, his side of the family was part of, you know, part of the government, bureaucrats and they all get, got that kind of treatment. I always envisioned that was the life I was going to have. How I was going to have that, I had no idea. Mm-hmm. But um, and I also knew that I was born at the wrong time, at the wrong place. I felt like um, I didn't belong there. I and I started. So I read a lot um, from a very early age. My mom actually was the biggest influence influencer in uh, making me re- read. So she gave, she used to buy a lot of books for me. 
And my life revolved around Huckleberry Finn, Tom Sawyer, and, and Robin Hood, and all these characters. There, too, I found there were no women or girl role models. The only person I could remember at that age was uh, maybe Laura Ingalls uh, from Little House in the Prairies. So um, I always thought that, okay, I don't like to cook. I don't like to do the kind of things that I see all women around me do. I don't like to sit around and and kind of I gossip, not that anyone in my nuclear family did, but in my extended family, it was, although it was a very loving and caring family, that was the norm. Women sit around, do their things, and men go do the work. Um, but my parents were very stubborn about our education, and I, we had to be independent and all that. So that nagging feeling of I didn't belong there, and then I got exposed to Hollywood. I got exposed to Bionic Woman, Wonder Woman, and um, MacGyver, and all these shows that they used to play in Bangladesh television. Um, so America was a dream that I wanted to be in. And how that was going to happen, I had no idea. So fast forward my life to teenage, that's when I started having issues with my dad, somebody I adored so much and I, who was my hero in my life, right? Because I became a girl from a child to a girl and that transition was very hard for him. And that transition showed me, oh, I'm no longer a human being. I'm a girl and girls are lesser people and um I just I just couldn't take that and and I had a so consequently what happened was I had a very tumultuous teenage with my mom and dad because I was so rebellious rebellious in the sense of uh the society I was in in Bangladesh what was rebellious here is pretty plain Jane uh, nobody cares about the things that I used to think of, but over there, what I should wear or, you know, how I should carry myself, how I shouldn't talk to boys, how I shouldn't, you know, go to school, uh, go to a co-ed school and how I shouldn't ever think of working and how I should prepare myself for um, my in-laws. All of these things, they they didn't jibe with my values, which was very, um, it, it was different because my value system, I kind of curated by myself. From all these books, the fictional characters, from all these, the, the imaginary life, uh, world that I lived in in my head. That's those are the value systems I've created on my own. And my value system just rebelled. They screamed, I don't want to be here. I don't want to be shackled. And I felt shackled. And I remember that the only thing I ever wanted was to ride bicycle on the street. Uh, that was my dream. I was only 10 years old. I begged my dad to give me a cycle. And of course, you know, as much as he loved me, he was also very scared of what others were going to say. And, you know, the better family you're from in that society, the, you know, the scarier it is of your rep uh, reputation. So they were always worried about what others are going to say, not about, you know, our well-being, what your child is looking for, what is she really made of and what is she really going to become? And um, so those things always had this, gave me this idea that not only I was going to get out of that situation, I'm going to make everybody else get out of that situation as well. So my life was always about, at that time, it wasn't about mentoring or giving people advices about how to make themselves better, because I didn't quite understand those myself. There was nobody to teach me. It was all about um, arguing, debating, okay, why you shouldn't be the way you are right now, why you should not 
think about what you are wearing and your character is not defined by how you behave to you know somebody because how you express yourself through your uh, clothes or your talks or your um, thoughts so fast forward to when i was 16 uh 17 years old my dad uh got this job offer in the united states and we ended up here so my sister and i and my family we came here uh, again, if you ask me how did the whole thing happen, I, I, I cannot tell you, but I knew this was going to happen since consciousness began. So um, I found myself here, and within a, the first couple weeks, my dad went to the store. I remember that day we went to Walmart, and uh, he got me a bike. He got me a bicycle. So um, I felt free for the first time in my life um, that I was able to ride a bike in my neighborhood by myself. Ah, that feeling, uh, you know, the wind just the blowing my hair, hair and, and that feeling of just letting go. It was one of the most uh, pivotal moments of my life because that gave me that sense of freedom that I've been looking for all my life. And from then on, um, life was better. Life was a little better in a way that um, I was able to go to the school that I wanted to, um, not really because of other issues, but at least I could get the education that I wanted to the way I wanted to. That all happened. But meanwhile, another life-changing event happened in my life. I met my husband-to-be. Um, actually, I met him in Bangladesh, but and uh, I was pretty young. so And he was a little bit older than me, which was, again, normal over there. Um but he waited till I, I got a little older. I, I was 18 to date me. Mm -hmm. um, he was the single most influencer, the biggest influencer of my life. Meeting him um, was a game changer because every stereotype I had about men and how they treated women and how they what the expectations they have had of women were completely abolished and completely gone. Um, he's the person I looked up to at that point, and I wanted to I told myself I want to become him. I want to be his equal. And I understood to be his equal, I had to earn it. It's not about a man and a woman thing. He was brilliant. He was hardworking. He was a feminist, a born feminist. And he had this unimaginable um, theory of humanity that I always knew, but I didn't know how to articulate. And he, he planted all these seeds in me. So by the time I, I was 20, um, again, but with a twist of luck, I I got married to him. Um, and after that, after that, my life changed because I got extremely serious about my academic future and my career. Uh, so I started having two jobs, all internships or co-ops since I was 18 years old everything that led to where I was going to find myself after my graduate undergrad degree, because I understood very quickly that it was very tough to get a job without any work experience. And I didn't want to just do uh, regular jobs to, you know, pay for uh, survival, which actually was needed at that time, but also go for something that's going to give me an opportunity to do, do the kind of things I wanted to do. So I did. And what happened was, um, again, my life, if I look back, 
it was kind of like a lot of things I wanted and dreamt about, but I didn't know how to get there. So I kind of, they kind of manifested themselves. And to look back, the way I chose my major and which later on opened all the doors literally in the world for me was data science. Um, the first week of my, me starting my undergrad degree at Georgia State, I got the student assistantship role at Georgia State, and it was the Department of Decision Sciences. That's what it was, data science was called back then. And it was one of the two programs in the country that offered that, two schools in the country to offer that program. And I looked at on the wall and there it said, problem solving, decision making, and process change. And I looked at it for, for a long time, for like weeks afterwards, and I did not have any idea what that meant. So I started talking to the professors I started working with. So as I would make their copies of or or go get their binders ready for their classes or and or fetch them coffee as interns or co-ops to student assistants to, I would talk to them for hours about what they're doing and how. So what I realized, oh my gosh, this major actually solves anything you can imagine. This is all about data. It's all about, you know, what is data? And, uh, you know, that because I didn't have any prior training on that. And what is data and how they make a very unstructured situation problem that shapes it, designs it, and gives you insight from it. That's what the major was about. So I thought I should take a class. And, you know, that's where it all started. And I fell in love with data science. Um and that's how I got my undergrad degree along the way. I worked, again, two jobs in my in my undergrad degree. I rarely had any time for my personal life or um, having friends or going to parties. I just studied and studied. Um, I also wanted to be something because something major had happened also during all these happy times that I was here in the United States. I came here, got my freedom and all that. Um, something traumatic happened when I was about 18 years old. And um, my husband and my sister were the only two people that stood beside me where while the rest of the world went against me and made me... Um, feel really less than who I was. And that changed me fundamentally. It changed me. There, The, the transformation came from within. Uh, I was in such a dark spot. There's 99% of the people usually choose the other way. They they go to a darker spot from that, that point on. But I chose to be something more than it's almost like a revenge i was going to show the world what i am and uh, don't ever question me so that was one incident that made me so serious about my academic life and um, my husband's influence and of course everything else i did in the long run after my undergrad I took about three months off, not off, to actually have uh, do another job. Um, from that, from that, I got an, a great opportunity by a company named uh, Savannah Westinghouse Committee. Um, if I, I'm not sure if I'm saying the right, name right because I I do not know where if the company still exists, but they provided the grant for us to build one of the first uh, internet um, worldwide web projects at Georgia State. And that's what I worked on, got my student assistantship, uh, research assistantship, teaching assistantship, and I was able to pay my way from uh, through my grad school. 
So that's how my life, uh, my academic life ended. So should we pause for a moment for you to ask me some more questions? Or should well, we I'm just so what a gift. And I, you know, I feel this lightness and dreaminess coupled with a doggedness about you that just, you know, innately, you know, you're like somehow it manifests, you know, it, it somehow it all manifests because you Rahana put it in the universe. And I am curious of any periods of your own self doubt, if any. Always Molly, always. I, I'm one of those people where <clears throat> I have a vague vision of what I'm going to be doing. Again, going back to my childhood that I was explaining, I didn't know, always didn't know, uh, uh, knew the how, how I was going to make it happen. So opportunity first and um, think later. That's pretty much my philosophy always. And I would jump into it. But jumping, jumping into it would put me on an S-curve that at the bottom of my S, another S-curve, that is a very challenging time, right? When you're at the bottom of your, your S-curve, you're, you're just learning, you're, you're getting your feet wet. And that time could be really unsettling. And self-doubts, imposter syndrome, everything you, you can think of, that all comes with it. So... I would say in the, in the, I had about five careers so far uh, at, at Delta and Sky Team because, and especially with my, her will. Five careers because aviation is a very complex industry, extremely complex. And you can choose to be either a Nobody doing eight to five forever and work there for 35 years and come out with a retirement package, or you can be a trailblazer. I don't know if I was a trailblazer, but I wanted to do something very different. I wanted to make a difference. Most of my jobs at Delta were created for me because I would come up with a solution. I would look at a problem and I would say that, hey, this is how I want to do this. So uh, I had about, at Delta, four different um, functional areas that I worked in. I would get in, know absolutely nothing about that, <laughs> that particular area or how they worked. And I would get about, you know, semi-expertise by the time I get out and had a legacy plot project behind me. So that's how I got into, that's how I've kind of flown through my careers. And, um, and self-doubt was a big part of it. But to tell you the truth, without the self-doubt, you don't grow. That is the point when you're at that spot. You are coming out of your shell and you're exploring and that's the best part. I we have to hear how. So you know this. I'm I'm just seeing it all knit together because this um, affinity and reverence for your father, for your husband, and men. And you know, aviation is not exactly known for like women everywhere. So how did you get from Georgia State into to Delta? And then talk about just navigating. Were you just like, oh my gosh, she's so smart. She's so amazing. She's so different. We don't even know what to do with her. And you just like, you did blaze trails. I'll go so far as to say, I think you did. But to talk about how you navigated all that. Um, very interesting question. Especially because, yes, with my dad and my husband and then everybody else, uh, male-dominated aviation industry. I do not... I think I had only in my 17-year career, I only had one female boss. And um, yeah, I would just leave it to that. And so throughout my life journey, people who promoted me, highlighted me, given me exposure are white men. Mm -hmm. and, <laughs> and then 
here I come out of my amazing career and open up a women's empowerment organization to get more women into data science and artificial intelligence, a feminist organization to create more awareness around the world. So that was kind of crazy. Um, but what I actually saw was that there were women to begin with. So you know the numbers, how they uh, you start out with 50-50 in college these days. Uh, the university, the distribution is uh, uh, men and women gender-wise 50-50. And they start dropping off as they move up at the, as they join the workforce and they move up the ladder. Okay, by the time you're in the C-suite, there's like less than what? There were less than 7% at this time. Um, less than 7% of the Fortune 500 CEOs are women right now. About 47% are, uh, in contrast, are women in mid-management. So manager and below. So that kind of tells you the story, right? So you're not getting highlighted enough or there's something fundamentally wrong for you to go up the ladder. And I have faced it myself. I have seen it going around and and all my female friends facing it throughout their careers. So the gaps and the opportunities. Opportunities were that, oh, I'm in the United States. I'm doing all these amazing things that nobody would get the privilege of doing. Another aspect of it, as an immigrant, actually, and if I'm actually, uh, if I'm going from like topic to topic, stop me, because I'm thinking out loud as well. Um, as an immigrant woman, you always have this nagging feeling in the back of your mind. Are you supposed to say just thank you so much for what, what I have and move on and be quiet Quiet, or are you supposed to go and do the kind of things that you really want to go, really want to do in life? So that dichotomy always, always bothered me. I, I still have issues with, you know, finding the right balance. And I saw that immigrant or not, all women facing that spot. Um, so they were facing that dilemma of, okay, so should we ask for more or should we just be grateful for what we have? And that is the gap that I wanted to close throughout my Delta career. And that is what I wanted to close here. So trailblazing part that you asked that how I did it, it wasn't easy. I remember twice in my career hearing, Farhana, you're too ambitious. Those two times, uh, from the same white men who created opportunities for, for, for me and gave me everything uh, that I pretty much have, to hear that was really tough because I know for sure my capabilities and talents match my ambition. My hard work matches my ambition. So if you're not seeing that, that's your problem. And those are insulting things to say. Um, those two are, again, with the positives in my life, those two lines from two different people were two other driving factors that made me do what I've done throughout my careers. I keep telling women, everyone I mentor and I have a chance to talk to be friends with or to be friends with, that never, ever stop dreaming and having ambition. Skills you can teach, but being dreamy and being ambition, ambitious, you can't. And without it, you're not going anywhere. We're not growing. So um, I'm not really sure if I answered your question, but. <laughs> you more you more than answered it. I'd like to ask when you, and it's, this is just so brilliantly put, you know, do we, want more we think we should have more oh should we be grateful you know for what we have and and i just want to put out an and for people to continue to have progress 
um, with the humility to know how far that we have come, you know, and I think that that is a balance and it's really important to um, help everyone know that uh, we get, we've come a long way, right? There's, it, there's a lot of, a lot of progress that has absolutely happened and we can be better. And I think the idea for Han of helping us be better versus making people wrong or bad is something I'd like to offer folks. You know, it's, it can be very, to your point, you're insulted, right? And it's like, yeah. you have insulted me and I'm going to go on, on a limb. I doubt that that was what their intention was. Well, let me say this, exactly. really insult her, right? And so how do we turn that into that rage, right? How can we find the love in that? And I'm curious when someone said that, were you stunned? Did you say what? How exactly did you respond when someone said, Farhana, you're too ambitious? No, as you just said, I do not think people's, most people's intentions are to insult others or to put them and make them feel bad. It was a matter of fact saying, oh, you know, because I was out, I would come up with some crazy idea of how to change the check-in system for all airlines, maybe. And when somebody hears that for the first time, they would say, Oh, that's that's really ambitious. And then, uh, as a matter of fact, you're you're too ambitious for Hana. Um, so that was that was kind of not in a feedback way, but but as a matter of fact way. But they don't understand that which these are doable problems. I mean, solvable problems. These are things that we can do easily, but at the, the the first time you hear of an innovative idea, the first time you hear of a game-changing idea, you have that kind of uh, reaction. And that reaction, I don't think they meant it for me, but this is how I felt. First time it was, though. <laughs> first time it was meant for me. And I was, you know, in my early 20s, and I was going for, you know, how to make... Uh, our airline, the, the the most reliable airline in the world, to, to, to for on 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 time performance, and that idea came to me. And when I first proposed that, that's that's the line I heard. Yeah. Uh, Brana, talk about your own growth, right? It sounds to me here she is. She got she's got the drive. You just maybe some mistakes, quote unquote, because that's obviously how we grow. But I would love. To to hear you recount, you know, maybe some bumps along the way and, uh, you know, grinning at yourself or maybe what your younger self did. Oh my gosh, bumps along the way. I had so many. Um, I felt that I was, because I lived in an imaginary world of equality and being treated with fairness and justice, I was kind of in a bubble um, and I was kind of, I would say business maturity or or even personal maturity came a little later than it should have in my part, in some aspect. In some parts of my life, I was extremely matured, but then in other ways, I was too dreamy, too much of a vision person. <laughs> uh, so... I, you know, I, I dare call myself a visionary. That's why I said vision person. I feel it audacious to call myself a visionary. Oh, so, on. no, no, seriously. Uh, so, so my uh, bombs were um, not following maybe in, if I really look back and be extremely transparent and, and authentic, and I, I can't, I can't be anything but. So I would say that. Sometimes I wouldn't follow corporate rules and it doesn't matter. Um, and, and sometimes I would speak in my earlier days, I would speak before it was my time to speak. So um, now I train, now that I want to create a culture of giving that business maturity for, for my team because there was no, again, no mentor, no coach at that time, no one to hold your hand and say, you know, this is how you do things. Oh, that was not a great idea. 
that kind of positive feed, food feedback loop wasn't there. Um, I had to kind of like uh, uh, fall and learn, get up myself. So th these are things um, that I would have changed along the way. I would also do, I may be too curious. I was, I was way too curious. And I was at technical operations and I would go and spend in, in the wee hours of the morning, I would just walk through the aisles of the airframes and, and try to figure out what they meant and how they work with each other. And a lot of, a lot of the times in, in a legacy world, in a legacy corporate world, these kind of curiosity are not taken that positively. So these are the things um, that I would go back and change, not my, the curiosity part, not the things I have learned for doing so, but the way I did them, if they make sense. Yeah, totally does. Okay, you're at the top of the heap. You're forging your way. You're, you've got to be, they've got to have a dot on you. Going, Look at this girl go. She's just, you know, crushing it. Talk us through the decision, you know, to exit the big corporate environment. And, and I'm just dying to hear about your current passion with her will. Yeah. So I exited twice. <laughs> I exited once before after my 10 year anniversary and I wanted to pursue my PhD. So I went and told my boss that I wanted to do this and uh, he was really supportive and I got out. I wanted to do my PhD. I went to talk to a couple of schools um, in town and both said, hey, listen, you have all this experience. You built the first data warehouse with your team at Delta. Why are you going for a PhD? And PhD is all about research. Why don't you teach and see if you like it? So I ended up teaching for four and a half years in between. After four and a half years, I got this amazing opportunity at Delta um, for partnership development and revenue optimization. And that was an opportunity of a life, lifetime. You don't say no to it. Although I had no desire to came back, come back to Delta. Absolutely none. I loved teaching. I, I thought that was my calling and I was going to get better at it and, and do more consulting. But um, yeah, and then I got this opportunity at Delta and by then, Delta was a different company. It was, you know, from a small hub and spoke Southern carrier to became this global airline after the merger with Northwest and Air France, oh, and then partnering with Air France KLM. And that job was so challenging, so unbelievably brilliant um, that that again changed the way that I was planning my future. Um, so it was, you know, working alongside with like 10 PhDs in my team who were just absolute experts in revenue optimization, learning the, the um, communication, the, the programming language. The t do, you, do you know that the airlines still talk in tele uh, teletype? Um, between the reservation systems, oh learning those things and to be responsible for a little bit later, a year or two later, to, to be responsible for having the capital funding and making those decisions of where to invest our money for partnership development and technology implementation. It was huge. And I early on in my career, I made the decision to be on the commercial side because that is where not a lot of women um, represented. And also I didn't want to become a stereotype of, uh, of the typical brown IT woman doing the programming for the rest of her, her life. So um, that was another trailblazing moment that I've done kind of semi-consciously earlier in my career. And so I chose the leadership path. Farhana, your passion for women and creating equal opportunity is unrivaled. And take us through this uh, really fascinating journey for creating her will. 
Yeah, thanks, Molly, for that question. Uh, her will was created because of my lived experiences, what I have um, seen in, in this country and going through my childhood and the work experiences I have seen women around the world, how underrepresented they are, how lack of opportunities are inhibiting them, their progress, and how lack of networking opportunities, leadership training, mentoring, lack of role models are not letting them progress. So her will create was created with um, getting into women to tell them that listen you are more than what your what society is prescribing to you you are way more than your domestic duties that you are um delegated with you are your creativity you are your uh, brain power and your competence and you have a lot more to give to the world than what you, they the society is telling you we have seen that data is in is Everywhere, without data, there's nothing that you can do. It's sector agnostic, and without being data literate, we are nothing. So data science, since that is my um, my experience and that's my expertise, I wanted to make data science and AI accessible to all women around the world and to and to to tell, let them know that, listen, there is a huge demand, market demand for this, these opportunities, these jobs and entrepreneurial needs. Uh, there are about a million job, job openings around the world right now in data science. And at different levels, at, it's a huge spectrum. You can be, you can pick and choose in what you want to be. So with data science and AI, you have a higher paying, the job, uh, the Salary does uh, starts in six figures in uh, no more than like a six months of training, and the barrier to entry is this uh, in this field is quite low. So with these, you can pretty much create a career and leadership journey of your own. And the experts that are working with us are world class, and the women that we have hit. Uh, from all these women that we have uh, built a community of, the data science and AI experts, about 520 right now that we have targeted on, we're taking them through a process of acquiring talents through the workshops and competition to matching them up with internship opportunities, job shadow programs, and full-time jobs, and then giving them the extra layer of leadership opportunities and professional trainings that they don't typically get in a conventional um, academics. So we're giving them, so that's make the whole comprehensiveness of our program makes us so unique. So I ask everyone to join her will from very different aspects. So you wanna make a difference in your life and you, in your leadership and in your career. Consider joining data science and AI. Consider this discipline as your next step to the future. People, the experts in this field, come see our girls. See how a girl from Bangladesh is competing with another girl from University of Washington in MIT and Harvard. Give them that internships, that job shadow, that role model, that uh, understand that they haven't had a chance to see women like you, men like you, to do the kind of things that we do here in the West. Um, so I would say her will is a unique opportunity for women to shine. It's a platform like no other. It's we're building, we're still in the very early stages of this uh initiative and this is going to keep growing and this is going to be that platform that's going to give you that place in that world that you didn't get anywhere else you are a superstar you are a super superstar i think that um the world is very fortunate for you i am grateful for you as a friend 
Um, you are an extraordinary soul. So thank you for letting us get to know you, your strength, beliefs in yourself and others and your fearlessness. Uh, how you're pursuing your dreams is very inspiring for Hannah. So many don't have the chance to use their voices and you're certainly using yours to help others. You're part of the solution, helping us all be safe, seen and heard in our very true and best selves. Thank you. You take good care. Thank you so much, Bonnie. And my thought for the week, of course, where there's a will, there's a way. And that's a wrap, folks. Thank you for tuning in. Please be part of the solution and kindly share this show. Amplify Farhana's voice. Reflect on your own top takeaways. And know I'm cheering for you to be who you are and say what needs to be said so that you and those around you have a shared reality. Essential to make the best decisions, execute with speed, and achieve outstanding outcomes at work and in life. Homelessness is solvable. Communities are proving it. And it begins by understanding that we can't keep doing the same thing and expect a different result. The U.S. spends billions each year responding, but it's clear more resources alone aren't enough to solve this complex problem. Community Solutions is a nonprofit working alongside 105 U.S. communities, proving it is possible to make homelessness rare and brief, starting with veteran and chronic homelessness. These cities and counties are fundamentally changing their approach and have committed to get to zero homelessness using real-time, person-specific data to work and use their resources wisely. What can you do? Visit www.built40.org. See if your community is engaged. Contact your mayor and ask, do you know the number of people experiencing homelessness in real time? Do you know every homeless person by name and need? What are you doing to drive measurable reductions in homelessness? Please challenge the fiction that says homelessness can't be solved. Thanks for listening to Say It Skillfully with host Molly Chang. Join us again for more ways to say it skillfully next Tuesday, 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Business Channel. Follow Molly on LinkedIn and Twitter. Check out sayitskillfully.com and sign up so you don't miss her latest 90-second video. And please, be part of the solution. Kindly tell others about this program so they say it skillfully too.